bless you tonight. <clears throat> Happy to see you. We miss y'all when we're gone. Amen. I'm glad God let us walk this journey together. Let's turn to Isaiah 53 if you would tonight. We want to look at a continuation of um, the humility and the glory of kenosis. And before we read the scripture, I'd like to emphasize to you that this is part of God that Satan does not understand. We accredit him with so much more really than what he does understand. And this is part of God's being that is more than a being like himself can understand. So then we look at it in a broader perspective that if Satan can't understand it, then neither can his children understand when the children of God try to be like this and the attributes of their father. It will make no sense. Somehow God hid it from Satan exactly when he come to the earth that he never was truly convinced that it was him and he wasn't convinced that it wasn't him. He just kind of, you know, he just wasn't really sure. He has a way of doing that, don't he? Now think how blessed you are. God's opened your understanding to help you to understand more and more about it. I thank God for it myself. Let's uh, look at this in chapter 53 of Isaiah, verse 1. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form, nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Now remember, God created this body of Jesus. So it wasn't that he had a Jewish nose and Gentile eyes and Syrian ears and, you know, Mesopotamian fingers. There was nothing from any human being at all. So God could have created him to be the most handsome of men that ever lived on the earth. But instead, he chose him to be a very plain, simple looking sort of person. No beauty about him that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. 
In other words, we wouldn't even look at him to even give him the credit that we would look his direction. He was despised and we esteemed him not. But now listen how that this parallels with the divine and the human. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Now Isaiah in this prophecy he takes a great mixture of adjectives, nouns, but uses so many verbs which are words of action. We're living in a noun Christian age and an adjective age when Christians want to be told how great they are. They want to be preached. They want the preachers to applaud them and just use adjective after adjective after adjective in the good way, of course. But when you go to preaching verb words, a lot of folks go to having problems because they really don't want to do anything when it comes to the Lord, I mean. But notice how that Isaiah, whenever he mentions this, now in verse 3, he's describing him by adjectives. He's despised, which is an adjective, of course, and it was rejected. A man of sorrows, an adjective. Uh, Acquainted with grief, which is a crossover of an action part. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, again, an adjective describing him, and we esteemed him not. But now we come to the action part. Surely he hath born. Born. Our griefs and not a noun, not an adjective, a word of action. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Many of you have a need tonight, request before the Lord, all of us, I'm sure. Lord Jesus, we bow our heads and we come to you as humbly as we know how. First of all, we want to say thank you. Thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. But thank you, Lord, for becoming one of us. It was God above his people. That it was God in his people. And God become his people. We thank you, Lord, that you would come to this earth. Condescend to such a place. That to this day, still in the realm of the supernatural, it must be overwhelming. To both divine angels and those who've fallen. To us It is still so profound. As Paul said, great is the mystery of godliness. Lord, I'm sure that we don't see it the way maybe others do. I'm sure that if we look back in time and maybe a year or two from now or three, whatever more, we'll think, oh my, how much more we've seen. But I do know this. I'm grateful for what I see tonight. And I want to see more tomorrow and the next day and so on and so on. Lord, I pray that you would help us tonight. May the greatness of our God be so expressed before us tonight that we can see the contrast of your prayer 
Thy kingdom come, thine will be done. In earth as it is in heaven. And contrast that, Father, to the cosmos. Because we know there's two great kings that are at war. Two kingdoms, and only two, that are against each other. Every person in this building tonight, every person that will hear this service, where every one of us are identified in one or the other of those kingdoms. May it be the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we ask it in your precious name. And the saints said, God bless you. You may be seated. I just think in my heart, from his birth on till 11 or so, his life was certainly curious and different. Things about him that was different than other boys, yet very similar. No doubt his mother and Joseph being there with him, and they would hear him say things, see him do things, not that there was miracles, walking on water, nothing like that yet. And then when they lost him, and they went to the temple and found him there as he was speaking words that a normal 12-year-old boy should not know. Now, the bar mitzvah, for those of you that understand what that is, it's whenever a young man actually becomes a son of the Torah. And that is that he, for his first time in life, he's able to stand up and take the law, and the priest hands him the law, and they unroll it, And he's able to stand up and take the law and read it. And then to actually comment on the scriptures that he has read. Now according to their tradition and their custom, he is now a man, which is about 12 to 13 years old, called their bar mitzvah. So actually someone, we were there in Israel. So they take him around, and now, of course, they would take him to the western wall, and they will take him up on their shoulders, and they dance and have great time of jubilee. But the way that they looked at it, this is when the young man actually enters into a time that he is what they call a son of the Torah. No doubt the Lord Jesus had studied it. No doubt he had read it. But where would he have got such wisdom to where the doctors of the law would have sat there and heard him and they were just marveling at the words that were being said. And then when she and Joseph comes and said, Son, your father and I have been concerned about you. We've been looking for you. He said, Wished you not I must be about my father's business? As a matter of fact, Joseph ain't my father. Now, there must have been things that was different, and you can imagine that Satan has always kept his eye on the fourth dimension. He's always wanted to see how that God would use those prophets, and they would break into that realm, 
and see future things that he himself would marvel at. Insomuch that they would call men's names hundreds of years before they were ever born. They would tell about events and describe them in such a way that to this very day it is phenomenal. How they could describe how a city would be taken over, how many days they'd lay siege, how many would die, so on and so on. And Satan must have marveled at the insight that these natural men somehow praying and being alone with God and he would watch them and all of a sudden they'd become very strange in this atmosphere and maybe they might jerk a little or quiver or their eyes become stargazed and they would just look there and become mesmerized as if they were paralyzed by the presence of God. And all of a sudden things would start coming out of their mouths. And as you know, many of these prophets would have a, a scribe with them because when they were in these visions, they could not write them. So some of the prophets had scribes and as they were in the vision, the scribe was sitting there as a penman so he would write down what the prophet would say. The prophet, you know, wouldn't have any recollection, many of them, once they come out of the vision. And Satan must have marveled as he heard these things. And God let the parallel of the prophecies of the coming Redeemer be so mixed on the divine glory side with the human humble lowly side that without a real genuine understanding, you'd see why it would be so easy to misunderstand it. So you take the prophecy, the first one that God himself gave in Genesis 3.15 when God said that he would raise up a seed and it would bruise the serpent. Well, if you would take those of the serpent bruiser and you would take those of being the son of David and you would take certain ones of Zechariah 6.12 or Jeremiah 35 or, you know, Zechariah 12 and you take some of these others and you would put them together, you can see why that you would be looking for a mighty general to come. Not a baby. So then you would try to look and reconcile Isaiah 7.14 with a serpent bruiser or Isaiah 9.6 with the son of David, a great mighty king. And you can see why that the scribes, the Pharisees, the doctors of the law, they were looking for a mighty general to come down on top of the temple and announce his coming to Cephas. And he would let all the people know the son of David has arrived. So you know what they done? They took quotes from the prophet and put together the coming of the Messiah and totally missed it. Because they handpicked the quotes of the prophets and they put the advent of the coming of the Lord mixed in with their own generality of reasoning and totally missed it because they were not spiritual. But yet you have the woman at the well, you have ignorant fishermen and so on. And they did not depend just upon their Pharisee training and teaching. But they would say words like, thou art the son of God, the king of Israel. We know Messiah was cometh, and when he comes, he will do these things. I that speak to thee am he. And she dropped her water pot and went run into the city and say, is not this the very Messiah? 
Now why was it that those prophetic prophecies did not confuse the elect as they did the learned? Because the learned was endowed with the satanic nature of religiosity which come with the element of human pride. Boy, I said a mouthful right then. I'm telling you, friends, that Satan wanted to get his way in order to interject this greatest of all things for sin inside of the human race. That every individual that would be born after the mixing of the seed lines, every one of them would be tainted with an element of satanic arrogance and pride then they would tend to rely upon their own abilities or their own wit or their abilities to be able to mechanize because man is good at operating and inventing. We can see that in the book of Genesis. And man is good at being able to come up with ways to make himself a way back to God. Adam showed us that in the Garden of Eden by the fig leaves. So Satan knew with the fall of man, the holy image of God left the man. So leave the man alone with his intellect and with the word. And the man will do his best to figure out a way back to God without the shedding of the blood. And by using all adjectives and minimizing verbs. Right. So we can say, well, I'm this and I'm that and I'm that and I'm that and I'm that and I'm that. And it's all professional, of course. But it doesn't really have to do anything in exchange. Well, praise God. Y'all are quiet on me. But notice then when God came himself. Now remember this one that we call Jesus. He was actually the father before he was the son. <laughs> Glory. Now what become Jesus was that which was created by the Father and the Father embodies in the Son which is the human element. But in order to bring us of course back to reconcile us notice in Isaiah 53.10 yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul. Now notice it is a mixture of the divine and the human. Part of this the spirit is doing, but it must be in total correlation with the submissive will of the lamb. It is the merging of the dove and the lamb. There are certain parts only the dove can do. Only the dove can bruise the lamb. You see, the lamb did not bruise himself. The lamb did not lay upon himself the iniquity of us all, but it was the dove that laid upon the lamb the iniquity of us all. It pleased him, the dove, to bruise him, the lamb. Hallelujah. 
Notice then in verse 11, he shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. He, the dove, shall see of the travail of the soul of the lamb and he, the dove, shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant, by his knowledge shall my, the dove, righteous servant, the lamb, justify many. For he, the lamb, shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I, the dove, divide him, the lamb, a portion with the great. And he, the lamb, shall divide the spoil with the strong, the redeemed by the lamb. Well, glory to God. Because he, the lamb, poured out his lamb's soul unto death. And he, the lamb, was numbered with the transgressors. And he, the lamb, bare the sin of not everybody, but many. I'm glad I'm one of them. And made intercession for the transgressors. Now, in order for God to be able to reflect the epitome of his own heart toward reconciliation of the lost, it must be the merging together of the divine and the human. The divine cannot suffer death. Of course, we know that. And the human cannot be able to put sin upon itself. If the human partakes of sin to take of sin, then it defiles the sacrifice. So it must be that the holy will take the sins of the unrighteous and lay it over that part of himself which can bear sin and the dove cannot bear sin. Only the lamb can do that. And it must be a total, complete submission of the lamb's soul, the lamb's nature, the lamb's desire in order to make it work exactly with the justice of God. God cannot, listen now, God cannot make the lamb do something that is contrary to his own will. He cannot make the lamb go. He cannot make the lamb suffer. He cannot make the lamb go through all of this extreme punishment that he's going to go through. The lamb must be absolutely 100% willing. There must not even be a point zero 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 one left in his will that is not completely submissive to the nature of the dove. That's exactly where God wants us. Now I'm talking about that converted part of you. This right here will always kick against the will of God. There's parts about this old body of ours that can obey the word and there's parts about it that just don't like it. Just be honest. Well, that's right because the body is not yet redeemed, but we're leading it that way. But the lamb must absolutely, totally be completely surrendered to the will of God. Now, this is one reason why, of course, that he lived this separate holy life and he chose and come to live 30 years on the earth without the fullness of the Godhead in him. He must also experience that life of a person, let me read it to you this way, that would be justified and sanctified. He must be able to relate not only to Holy Ghost feel, true word born believers, but as high priest, he must be able to relate to the people who were just keeping the law as he was the Torah. He must be able to relate to those that love God with all of their hearts. He must be also high priest to those that are just sanctified. Aren't you glad? 
Aren't you glad he didn't just become high priest of those that had the Holy Ghost? Then that made a majority of our Christian life. Many of us wouldn't even have been had a high priest. He said, well, I'm only high priest of those that have got the Holy Ghost. All the rest of you just do whatever you got to do to get there. But he said, nope, I'm going to come to the earth and I'm going to live as a man without the Holy Ghost. I'm going to live as a man that believes and obeys the word and that does everything exactly right. Oh, praise God. But then when he receives the fullness that day, but he never takes that fullness in order to overcome Satan because then it would be unfair for us. So he must enter into this pact to where the, the lamb and the dove will merge together in one union and the lamb will totally be submissive by his own choice. Notice this now in Philippians chapter 2 verse 8. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Now notice God, the spirit, the dove, can lay on him the sins of the world. He can allow him to be chastised, our transgressions and so on. But he cannot make him be humble. Oh, hallelujah. He cannot do that. The lamb must do it himself. The lamb must do. Don't you see why he went this way? It was to make a way for us. Now, the Spirit of God, friend, is not going to make us serve him. God's not going to grab people up by the nap of the neck and just smack the fire out of them, just kick them and beat them and stomp them, grab you by the hair of the head, and I'm pulling you through the gates. I don't care if you want to go to heaven or not. I'll tell you, Lord to God, I'm pulling you in. Well, if he does you that way, he'll have to do everybody else how you're the same way. But God wants a people that are willing to follow in the very path of the Lamb of God, which was self-humiliation. Now, we all know what it's like to be humbled, and we know what it's like to be able to share in that. But yet, here is a divine side of being rewarded. And, of course, the kenosis of the Lamb was in order to come to the glory of God and with the glory of His bride, since the wife is the glory of the man. Then it must be that the Lamb must humble Himself. Now, supernaturally, the Father cannot do it, because if He does, He'll have to do it for every other son and daughter of God. This is why the Bible tells us we must humble ourselves. Right. Now the pastor, he can't do it for you. Your wife can't do it for you. Notice being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now we looked at this word the last time I dealt with it, but let's look at it again. Bring low to lower, depress one's soul, bring down one's pride, to have a modest opinion of oneself. Now, to be honest with you, I've met folks, and you have too, that if they didn't have their self to talk about, I'm not sure what they would talk about. Because the more you're around them, the more they talk about themselves. And then they wonder, wonder why Brother Donnie didn't say much when I talked to him. Could it be you didn't give me no room? And you was already talking about yourself enough. I didn't really want to join in. I get sick of people hearing people talk about themselves. Look, friend, you might be a millionaire sitting here tonight. All that means is you're a millionaire dirtbag. And in value, you're not worth any more than I am. I 
buried a lot of folks, over about a hundred and some since I've been here. I ain't never in my life seen no casket lined up at hundred dollar bills. If they was when they put them in there, time everybody come through, they wouldn't have them. I ain't never seen nobody buried with her car, with her horse, with her house, with her cattle, with her sheep, with her stocks and their bonds. Come on. Have you? Nope. And you never will. I don't figure. So when it really comes right down to it, the only thing that we take with us out of this world is our character and the reputation and our legacy. It's what we leave behind. Right? And that's worth more than all the money, of course, in the world anyway. But yet people have an idea that humility is something to where people, you know, they, they dress poor. Now look, hey, you know what? I was raised poor. I know exactly, many of you have been raised poor. And you know exactly what it's like to be poor and to be raised poor. But people think humility is being poor. That's not always true. Some people that are poor, they got so much pride if somebody offers to help them, their pride wouldn't let anybody else help them. They can have more pride than a rich man can. That's right. A great man is a man who's actually greater than you, but he can convince you you're greater than him. It's not a person who's all the time going around telling about how great they are. They can sing better than everybody else, play the guitar ever better than else, and they can preach more and they have more visions and more dreams and so on. That is a bag of wind. Well, praise the Lord. Y'all didn't say amen much, but it's a truth in hell. Now, notice then, the Lord Jesus was not made to do this by the dove. But the lamb chose this on his own. Now, remember the lamb is the human part. Look at the meaning of this word here, to behave in an unassuming manner. Devoid of all haughtiness, or metaphorically, it means to bring into a humble condition. Reduced to meaner circumstances, to assign a lower rank, oh my, or place, to a base, to be ranked below others who are honored or rewarded. Now, the nature of this humiliation, it was genuine. It was not that the Lord Jesus acted like he was humble. And he did not impersonate a humble man, but he was a humble man. Now, in this, don't, don't get in your mind that just because he did not have a house and he did not have horses and he did not have chariots, uh, because we know in that day there would have been many, many people that did not have a place to live. There were homeless then like there are now. But it was not so much just because a lack of property, but it was more a mindset than it was of how much you own. You see, a person who actually can have a lot of possessions in this world, but if they have them and use them the right way they can be more humble than a person that stays flat broke all the time because it's not just what you own it's your attitude toward what you own well praise the Lord he owned everything did he not he owned everything but yet when you look at it he was so humbled that he stepped aside and laid aside of course the crown the diadem the robes and all of that but he laid aside all knowing he laid aside omnipotence he laid aside all of that and assumed a lower rank as Paul said so he come down and it was totally voluntary now this is what the Lord wants us to become as far as us humbling ourselves that God does 
does not have to do it. You know, and sometimes we hate it, but sometimes we're hard-headed and stubborn. God has just whooped the fire out of us. He just has to take a stick and just beat us till we just, you know, how it is. And that, that ain't because he wants to. It's because we're so stubborn and we're so hard-headed. Now, I'm going to go ahead and say amen for me. And now this amen's for all the rest of you. Amen, Brother Donnie! Because y'all just sitting there with that funny looking smile on your face. Watch this in Matthew 18, 3. And said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Friends, one of the truest signs that you'll ever know that you're under the rebellion of Satan, away from the leadership of the Holy Ghost, is when you cannot receive correction from the Word of God. When the deacons try to correct you, or the ministers try to correct you, and you receive nothing from nobody, just remember, you're under a satanic evil spirit. Not the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost can be corrected. If it lives in you, it will lead you to correction. Well, I say I'm going to have to preach an amen to Now watch, Jesus now, I know this is not nice, we don't like it, we, it's not deep, and we message people, don't not even share these scriptures are needed, but I, I'm kind of different than a lot of message folks. Jesus said this, so I, I believe it's needed. Verily I say unto you, except ye can be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall, notice again, not the dove humbling the lamb. But now the same, the same sequence of events is going to happen in the prophetic time frame when the Holy Ghost is going to birth the church. Whenever the dove will come and live inside more lambs and he will equip them and give them the ability to humble themselves. Now friend, this is from the divine side. We can't do this on our own. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child. Oh, wow. The same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, don't raise your hands, but is that your idea of who the greatest is in the kingdom of heaven? Praise God. Sweet Jesus. Brother Homer, where are you at, buddy? I heard you had some good meetings. Rush back up here. Notice the word that Jesus uses is the exact same word that Paul uses. Tapaneo, the same Greek word, but the exact same meaning. So it means then that we will have the ability within us to humble ourselves. Again, in Matthew 23, 12, Whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. He that shall humble himself shall be exalted. James 4, 6. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Well, I don't know about you, but I sure need grace. You see, this is why the pride, the proud man does not depend upon grace. Why? His goodness generates from his own being. 
from his own works for whatever he is. Look friends, there's folks that are absolutely eat up with pride and they've never really done much in life. But their pride is not from what they own. It's not actually from what they've accomplished. It's from themselves. It's self-generated. Don't you see what that ties? It ties to the universal sin that was committed in the universe before sin was ever brought to the earth. In reality, they have nothing to be proud of. They're a failure in business or a failure in this and a failure in that. And yet they are so proud. And where does it come from? Within themselves. Oh, praise God. So this is what James said that God does to the proud. God resists the proud, which is oppose oneself to range and battle against. So when we lift up ourselves in pride and arrogance and this and that and the other, God declares a war against you. And you know who's going to win that war. It ain't going to be you. Oh my. Notice this. So God resisteth the proud. I know I read you a lot of meanings of these words, but to, to me they make them so real. When we read them in the language they were written in. And the proud means this. Showing oneself above others. Now some do that by what they drive. Some do it by what they dress. But other people do it by their spiritual means. I'm more spiritual than other people at Happy Valley. I feel this and I feel that. I feel led and I feel led. Well, God's got brain for so much stuff. And I have to just be honest with you. The poor old devil has too and he ain't done a lot of it. A lot of his people. But what do people hide behind? I felt led. I felt led to do this. And anything that's leading you contrary to this word is a devil. It ain't the Holy Ghost. So people that look at themselves and they have such spiritual pride. They are so much deeper. Oh, they're so much more spiritual. They've climbed so far in God and in their pride. They look down as Satan did on the angels. <laughs> I might need to get me one of them my bulletproof vest if I keep on preaching this way. But now this is what the Bible says that God does to those type of people. So for those of you that are more wealthy and you're able to buy your clothes from the mall and say you come into the church and you happen to see a sister sitting there in a dress from Ross. And in your pride. Know where she got that. You need to get that devil off of you. That ain't from the Holy Ghost. Praise God. I'll tell you some of the worst ones in the message has got this and that's preachers. Eat up with it. Thank you, Jesus. Brothers, we might ought to just cut right here and not even let this go out on the internet. <laughs> I'm going to be killed again. Look at the meaning of it, proud. Showing oneself above others. Now, it's not that they are 
but they show themselves that they are. Overtopping. Conspicuous above others. Preeminent with an overwhelming estimate of one's means or merits. Despising others or even treating them with contempt. Haughty. Why would God be so against this? Because it comes from Satan. Even when the Lord Jesus rebuked the scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, he never done it in the spirit of pride. It was not proud. It was not arrogance. It was in the spirit of love and trying to correct their error, right? But you've been around people and you know as well as I do that, oh my, when you get around them and they just kind of look at you and you know they're looking at you and they feel so sorry for you. Maybe not so much your clothes, maybe your dress, you know, kind of apparent to them and you look all right, you're sort of kind of decent and they'll talk to you a little bit about the word and they start throwing things out there to kind of see where you are and then they see you're not where they think you are. Well, Brother Larry, you sure don't know very much, do you? You sure don't know. But generally when I get around somebody like that and they've got that attitude, generally what I do, I go even lower than what they think I am because they need to feel bigger than me. They need to feel bigger than me so I'm going to help them. I'm going to act more dumb than what they think I am. Uh Uh-huh. That's right. Why? I'm helping them fall. Now, I know you ain't going to understand this, but there comes times to when people will not correct, be corrected by the word. I've actually had to give them enough rope, knowing in time I would watch them hang themselves because they will not match up to God's word. So a Holy Spirit goes before what? A fall. Lord, keep me from such... Well, hallelujah, church. But notice James says, He give us more grace. Wherefore it says, God resisteth the proud, but He giveth grace unto the humble. My, my. Notice again, James 4.10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. Now this word is a different Greek word uh, as far as lift. And it is to exalt, to lift up on high, metaphorically to raise to the very summit of opulence. Wow. Now this is what's amazing. This is what the natural man wants, but he wants to do it by his own merits or works or whatever more. But God said, no, if you want divine opulence, the only way you can do it is not step on everybody else, but you've got to humble yourself and let me do it. But if you try to do it yourself, I'm telling you, I'll declare a war against you. So the Lord Jesus must come in this same human format and feel, he must have felt, Brother Terry, a flood, you know, the pull of pride. He must have felt the pull of arrogance and so on. No doubt he could have answered every question that everybody ever asked him. He could have answered them and totally overwhelmed them and proved how great he was, which is what most of us 
would have done. Because a lot of times we speak not only what we know, but a whole lot more than what we know. Just in case they need that too. And let's just be honest, we make fools out of ourselves. Abraham Lincoln said, it's better to be silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and solve all doubts. Wise man. Oh my. But really, for the, for the Jesus, the Lord Jesus, to relate to those of us left with this tampered nature that Satan was able to inject in us this element of pride and arrogance and whatever more. He must have felt this and overcome this with the spirit in him, love, imagination, conscious memory, and all the feelings, the gates to the flesh, the gates to the eye and all. This is why Brother Ram said that he would always have people to bow their heads when he was casting out devils because he said the eye is the gate to the soul. So he said if people were looking and they were looking around whenever he is casting out devils, that them devils look for a place to go. And somehow them sitting there with their eyes open, don't ask me how, I don't understand it. But it would gain an entrance. So what was it? They'd bow their heads, shut their eyes, which was a sign of humility. Look how many people raised their heads and raised their eyes and demons went in. Why? A sign of rebellion. Sign of stubbornness. Oh, praise God. You mean something that simple? That's right. Something just that simple as that. Oh, praise the Lord. Notice first Peter chapter 5 verse 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed. Oh, my. Be clothed with humility. Look at this word. I, I just about had a spell the other day when I found this. A knot, a knot or a band by which two things are fastened together. Clothed. This is what the word clothed meant. So humility is something that our spirit, our being, is actually tied together. It was the humility of God that tied the dove and the lamb together, merging it in a slave's garment. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. To fasten or gird one's self. This was the white scarf or apron of slaves. So you knew a slave because he had no shoes on him. Right. Wore no ring. But they might have an earring or they might have something in their nose by which they was a sign that they was a slave. But they were required to wear this type of garment. You mean they had to dress a certain way? What if they told the master, I don't want to wear that white garment. I, I like to wear a rainbow garment. I, 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 I like purple. I like green. I like blue. I said, shut your mouth and get this white slave garment on because you belong to me. Well, praise the Lord. This was the white scarf or apron of slaves which was fastened to the belt of the vest and distinguished slaves from free men. So don't you see what being clothed in humility does? It helps us to shut our mouth. It helps. 
helps us to keep our opinion to ourselves many times instead of going on Facebook and airing out our family laundry, our message laundry. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to rest. So a real slave is not a troublemaker. A real slave is never a person who tries to cause a split in a church. A real slave is not one that tries to assert the authority of the pastor. Or the authority of the deacons or those people that you have voted in to be able to represent you. Come on, saints. This was the white scarf or apron of slaves which was fastened to the belt of the vest. Wow. And distinguished slaves from freemen. Also this refers to the overalls which slaves wore to keep clean while working. An exceedingly humble garment. Now I don't mind telling you friends. We can start out being clean in the work of the Lord. But if we don't keep the slave garment on, on Brother Jim, we can become dirty while we're doing the work of the Lord. Now, I don't mean we become dirty sexually. We might not become dirty as far as cigarettes or any of those things, but our attitude becomes rotten. Well, hallelujah. We're living in a very trying age. And the unredeemed bodies of God's children can be just as trying as any other mortal you ever dealt with. As a matter of fact, sheep can be some of the most impatient people you'll ever deal with. Sheep can be unforgiving. Praise Brother Donnie. And if we're not careful, Brother Dow, dealing with the people of God, we will get dirty. This is why we need a slave garment on to keep us unspotted from the world because we're dealing with people with attitudes. We're dealing with people with unforgiving spirits. We're dealing with people with pride and arrogance and worldliness and so on and so on. And we deal with them all the time. And if we don't keep the slave garment on us, if we're not careful, we'll look around and find we've got the same attitude they've got and we're doing the same thing that they've done and five years ago you condemned it now you're just like them why you took your slave garment off and you said well I don't need it no more we need it now more than ever we need to be clothed in humility we need the baptism of the Holy Ghost oh friends I don't want just a little douse of the Holy Ghost I don't want a little teaspoon I want to be so full I I'm running over with it. First Peter chapter five, verse six. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Now let's look a little bit at the degrees of our Lord's emptying of himself. The kenosis and the degrees, the depths of the degrees of humility are contrasted by the heights of the degrees of glory. He went to the extreme to where no other mortal could ever go. And he's been raised to a higher sphere than any other mortal will ever be attained to. 
not only humbled himself to be a man, but he humbled himself to be a mortal, depriving himself as we've done gone through knowledge and so on and so on. But he also, now listen, this is Jesus. He humbled himself not only to become a man, but to become a dead corpse. Now, I'm glad that there are undertakers. I'm glad there's people that can work in that field. But I'd rather be a painter, and I hate painting. I'd rather be a plumber, and I hate plumbing. I can think of all kinds of things I'd rather be than to be a mortician. I'm glad Brother Rocky and and Brother Louie and these other folks is able to do this. We need them. I'm glad that there's people who can do it. But I personally just don't like hanging around dead bodies. Whether they're nodding or laying in a box. Either way, I just don't. (laughs) So he, he not only humbled himself to become a mortal man, but a corpse. Friend, that is our lowest degree as far as the human body. Now think of it. Movie stars, kings, potentates, magistrates, No matter who we are, how great we are in this life, when it comes to that, we're all on the same plane. Lost or saved, because the saved part that was in the corpse is now gone. So the corpse laying there will start degenerating, the nose will fall in. It is our worst crowning in our mortality as a mortal is to become a corpse. Praise the Lord. Now look, they can hold Lennon's body all they want to and think one day that science will be able to resurrect him and bring him to life. That's a bunch of baloney. They'll never give him life. The son of God's voice will give him life one day and he'll be judged for what he's done. Man will never break into that realm to be able to impart eternal life. There's only one that can do that. But he humbles himself to be a man to have a headache. Oh, such humility. Humbles himself to feel stress and duress and pain and all that. Such humility. But notice, it was not Christ that became a corpse. It was Jesus. (laughs) Well, let me just go ahead and give you all a clue. If I go by the way of the grave, the real Donnie won't be a corpse. That's right. Neither will you. I mean, you've seen enough funerals right here at the church and we walk by and, you know, I don't even like touching their hands. I don't like, I just don't. I, I, I know I'm not spooked of nothing like that. I just don't because I know that ain't them. I want to remember them whenever I saw them in their health and when they were happy and shouting around and praising God. Why? Because that is the worst degradation that we're able to be identified with. Laying there lifeless and you're laying there and people come around looking at you and just say, leave me alone. Don't come around here and look at me. <laughs> you can't say nothing. You can't do nothing. They don't ever fix your hair right. You got makeup on you. Well, come on. Be honest. Oh, hallelujah. And here he was laid inside that tomb. Oh, my. Laid inside that tomb as a corpse. 
But the dove wasn't a corpse. The Father Christ wasn't a corpse. So he had to humble himself to the death of the cross. Amen. Jesus did. He bore it patiently. Endured the shame meekly. And overcome death, hell, and the grave. The curse, he withstood it obediently. That the wrath of God could be satisfied. The justice of God could be pacified. And you and I could be reconciled to the presence of Almighty God. How was it accomplished? It was not accomplished by walking on water. Going into the hospitals and clearing out the hospital. It was through the greatest act of humility this world has ever known. He did not conquer sin, all saints, by walking on water. He did not conquer sin by healing the sick. He conquered sin by humbling himself. Praise be to God. Notice in Hebrews 10, 7. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. The lamb speaking to the dove. Verse 9. Then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. Wonder why Paul kept reiterating this over and over again that the man Jesus, the man Jesus became obedient. He wants to run a parallel that we can see if we are truly Christians with the Spirit of Christ in us, we will be obedient to His every word. Philippians 2.8, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. He obeyed when obedience would render him a corpse. And if God asks us to clean out the books we're reading, or the music we're listening to, or movies that's filthy that you're watching, pride and arrogance and a stuffed shirt and whatever more. Oh, we just moan and groan and bellyache and acting like we're giving up off this thing ever was. <laughs> and his was completely voluntary. In the attitude of an obedience or all right, I'll get my cigarettes up. You might as well keep them with that attitude. Because you'll come to church and you'll be mad at me and God. Well, Brother Donnie keeps on preaching on me. I just might as well quit. No, I'll buy you a pack. Because until you get the right spirit on you, it ain't going to do no good. Remember Brother Benham telling Brother Charlie's daddy about smoking the cigarettes. And he said, I'll go buy him a pack myself. He won't smoke another one. <laughs> Why, his attitude was right. That's right. Oh, if I can lay aside these cigarettes, if I can lay aside these said, there you go back to what you can do again. He said, well, what do I have to do? I, he said, I told him nothing. You accept what he's already done. He said, well, I can do that. He said, here's a crick. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Oh, my. The 
very form of his death. It was not a nice, pleasant death that he goes in and lays down and folds his hand and he's able to do that, but he dies the lowest death a man could die. You know that crucifixion was only safe. A Roman citizen could not even be crucified. A normal, average, everyday Roman citizen could not be crucified. Jesus was subjected beneath them. Oh my, notice in Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Hebrews 12, to looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy, listen to this, who for the joy that was set before him, this is the way, my brother and sister, we overcome hardships. Set the joy of your reward, the joy of overcoming, the joy of the crown of life, the joy of the things that lay in front of you. Who was for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now you and I rejoice of this, but can you imagine living in the first century and you're a Jew? And you pick up and read the Torah where the Torah says, Cursed is every man that hangs on a tree. Or you're a Greek. You're a Gentile. And your gods are gods that are Hermes and you know, Herodotus and all these different gods. And you dress them in splendor. You dress them in royal robes. And you're this new Christian God hung on a cross naked. And you're going to introduce this Jesus to a Greek A Greek who was accustomed to clothing his divinities with great crowns, great robes. <laughs> you imagine as they begin to hear about this, this Jesus, Jesus, and he the one that they, that they killed, and he the one that they beat and stripped him. And you say he's God, the Son of God? Not only that, he's God. Amen. Oh, no, no, no. Can't you see why it was a stumbling block to the Jews? It looked like according to the very law. He broke their law. He didn't break it. He fulfilled it. He was the consummation of it all. He pulled it within himself. Can I have a few more minutes? Let's contrast Isaiah 14 with Philippians 2. Philippians 2, 5, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Now let this mind be in you to follow the same pattern. Made himself of no reputation to go upon in the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now let's go to Isaiah 14, 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? The word there is Haliel, light bearer, shining one, morning star. How art thou fallen from heaven? Now we see a new image. 
represented in the prophetic inside of Isaiah the prophet, able to go to the very beginning of sin in the universe. Now, notice he doesn't say that he had a Palmel or a Winston or a big cigar. Or God caught him on a website. Or God caught him over in the corner of heaven drunk. Oh my. This magnificent monarch, the height of this order of angels. <laughs> oh my. He was so beautiful and so magnificent in his excellence and glory that in his pride, he got lifted up. Lucifer also means day star. Halel to shine or Lucifer day star. So here is the beginning of sin in the universe. And it began with two simple words. I will. So the son of the morning, Lord Jesus. The son of the morning or the morning star. Hmm. Lucifer. He began to look around in heaven one day and he realized in this category of angels, he was the greatest, the most magnificent. There was no one as great as him as far as angels. And there's only one place for him to go in order to excel his greatness because within himself when sin started and he began to look at himself instead of looking at the will of God because you can't say I will and God's will at the same time unless you say not my will but thy will be done well me and Carol have this saying all the time at home people's going to do what they want to do that's pretty simple but it's true well I'll tell you what if they're going to do that I figure I will too they're going to do what they want to do. I want to serve God. Yeah. I want to go to church. I want to live right. I want to stay with this word. People's leaving the message. You know why they want to do it. Well, if they want to do that, then there ought to be another people that has another will inside of them that lines up with the will of the Father. And that's the same will the Lord Jesus had. So the Lord Jesus was actually able to consummate the last phase of this battle in the Garden of Gethsemane. Nevertheless, not my will. Here is the, oh my, the answer in the contrast to what Heliel said in the very beginning when sin first started I will and he says I won't I won't do what I want to do I won't go the way that I want to I will not go my way I want your will oh my goodness oh I got to go a little bit farther here. I don't want to leave you hanging too far. Let's, let's look at his original position now. Did you know that in heaven the devil was God's right hand man in the beginning? That Lucifer, the son of the morning, was given power? And the reason he was brought sin into the world, he was able to take something that God had created and pervert it back into an evil thing which started all the show in the beginning. Then God back before the foundation of the world was ever laid. Now listen when this happened. 
when he seen what Satan done in his ah, pride. So I ask you, is this dangerous? In his pride went over in the north and set up a kingdom and fought against Michael which was Christ and his angels. Do you see it? I do. The right hand band of almighty God was Lucifer. So one day in heaven, he got tired of being the associate pastor and decided to start his own church. Uh huh. The son of the morning, the first God granted him almost co-workers with him. He was a co-worker, partly equal with him. Can't you see why Satan loves to do things like that in churches? Me and Brother Darrell was in a meeting several years ago. Brother Darrell pointed out a certain individual there at that place, which is a, a worker in that certain area where we were, and said, Boy, Brother Darrell, that guy is such a blessing. And I said, I said, I said Brother Darrell, people like that man right there are some of the most dangerous people you can have in a church. He said, Really? I said, absolutely. They get among the people and they talk and they do this and that and the other. Well, little did I know that man just happened to be doing that very thing. That same time that we was there. I stood some years ago in Canada and I preached along this line about Satan being God's right hand man. Well, there on the pulpit, some of the people I knew, most of them I didn't. But there was a man sitting behind me that I didn't know who he was. I just knew he was an associate in one of the local churches. So I read this quote. And I said, it'd be like this brother here. He gets tired of being an associate. That introduced him to me that he was an associate in one of the churches there. He gets tired of being the associate here in the church. And he wants to start his own church. Well, in about three months, they called me and said, did you know? I said, know what? He said, that very man that you pointed to was behind the scenes working right then. Now, it's not important that I know. What's important is God knew, and he wanted him to know he knew. Praise the Lord. Now, friends, I don't care. People, I feel that. I feel that. Do whatever you want to do. But when you follow into this line, I'll tell you what I'm going to call you. Anointed of the devil. I don't care who you are. Brother Horn does this very thing. He's anointed of the devil. Brother West, Brother Dale, anybody else? And any of you follow him in something, a revolt that's contrary to the word, you're as bad as fallen angels. Boy, it's getting warm in here, ain't it? Man alive. But you see, it's not just that way in a family, in a church rather, church family, but it also gets in homes. Uh Uh-huh, a child begins to get to where they think they know more than mom and dad. Sometimes a wife can think she knows more, and sometimes a wife does know more than a husband, but it's still no justifier to take his place. 
You see, when a man steps out of his place and the whole continuity of the home is broken, and many times the woman has to step up and she actually becomes the priest of the home because a man's a sinking starry lazy that he won't take his spiritual position in the home, which is an absolute shame. Lord Jesus, I'm leaving. You men, get in your place. Be the spiritual priest of your home. Be the right kind of men in your home. And your wives can be in their place. And their children can be in their place. Let's stand. Let me finish this quote for you, can I? Notice this. He was partly equal with them, only Satan could not create. God is the only creator, but Satan took something God created and perverted it back into something else evil. Question answers. Satan was the original archangel of God. He once dwelt in the heaven. He once was the greatest person in the heavens Outside of God. So there's only one person between him and his goals. One person stopping him from being everything he aspires to in his dreams. Just so happens it's the eternal. Now if it's me, a simple bullet in the right place wipes me out. Hand grenade, mashed potatoes. That's what I look like. But you can't blow God up. Can't shoot him. Can't kill him. Can't drown him. Can't overcome him. But he was so determined. He's been trying for thousands of years. I would give him credit for this. He's got much more of a determination than some of us did. We go through at least a little saying, oh, my brother Donnie, he's preaching on me. I ain't going back no more. I burn this devil's hat every time I come to church and he's the most faithful member I've got. He's here when some of you all stay at the house. You got a headache and want to stream. The devil said, man, I ain't streaming. I'm going to church. I'm going to see what kind of trouble I can cause when I'm there. Demons don't stream. <laughs> Think of it, friends. Preachers call him liars. Preacher, unveil what he's doing. They call him a deceiver. They call him every name imaginable. And he's right there. Don't stop him. Don't even slow him down. We beat him. We thrash him. We whip him. We cast him out. We call him everything we can call him in the confines of the word of God. And he's right back there to fight tomorrow like it's a brand new day. And fight like he's going to win. But he's not the winner. You are. But yet he makes us believe we're the loser. We go around acting so sad, mama. We ought to wake up and realize we're the winners. Let me read this to you. Satan was the original archangel of God once dwelt in heaven. He was once the greatest person in the heavens. Now let's be honest. If we was going to make ourselves an enemy, we would never make one that was this close. Now, under the law of contrast, you've got to prove your greatness, but your greatness has to be tried by negativity. It has to be tried by something that contrasts against it. So there was no enemy. 
There was nothing God could not make sense. So he makes this being by which knowing his Satan had a soul. And in his soul is where this sin was birthed at. The universal sin. But he don't want to make this little bitty old guy. Here's almighty God can do all these great things. And how comes his little midget? God! But he wants to make him right up here. Where he can look God face to face. And tell him. I'm going to be like you. You see, the devil talks his people into smoking dope. But the devil's smarter than that. He don't smoke dope. He don't drink. He don't do none of that stuff. You'll never catch him doing that. He wants to be like God. Notice this. He said he was God's right hand man. Wow. So if Jesus pre-existed as a man in heaven, as a little boy sitting over by his daddy's right hand, <laughs> the right hand man to fellowship was Lucifer. Not another God. He was God's right hand man to fellowship. And listen what happened to him. He got puffed up in his heart. I'm above God's word. I'm above God's plan. Look, friends, bring it down home now. This is what's still left in our unconverted flesh. That when we hear something preached that we don't like or we're guilty of, that we struggle with. Or we take our shovel and give it to Brother Larry. Whoop, 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 whoop. Brother Ray, careful, careful. Everybody just dump it on, Brother Ray. Y'all ready? On three. One, two, three. <laughs> Don't you duck. Anybody got anything left? Let's put it on, Brother Tim. You know what you're doing, don't you? You're puffing up in your heart. I don't need that stuff. You do. Well, I wish so-and-so had been here tonight. Well, I wish they would have too. Maybe they'll hear the tape. But you were here, so apparently you needed some of it anyway. Right? Oh, my friends, what a great treasure humility is. Being able to humble yourself. Not only before God, but before your brothers and sisters. Thank God. Let's bear it together if you would. I may like to be remembered tonight before the Lord. You say, God, keep this evil thing away from me. Pride, arrogance. What's one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life is many times people who's got it so bad, they don't think they do. They don't think they do. They don't even realize how much they brag on their self and talk about their self and exalt their self. They're so eat up with it. They don't even realize. Lord Jesus, I know that worldliness compasses so many, many things. But Father, we see right here the king of worldliness. 
He didn't begin with smoking or drinking or lying. And we know all that's attributes of unbelief. But in his heart, he was lifted up because of his pride. It's amazing how Brother Brown catches that whenever he tells us about sisters and they come to the Lord and they let their hair go to growing out and then they go to looking at themselves and thinking how pretty and attractive they are. And Satan takes that very thing that they're commanded in the Word to do and if they're not careful, he'll turn it into an element of pride. If we're not careful, you've allowed us to hear and see and understand Things that the majority of the church world will never see, never hear. But God help us to realize pride will try to come in and make us arrogant. We'll look down on others that don't know what we know. Don't hear what we hear. Instead of approaching it with a thankful heart, with appreciation, we approach it with an element of pride. Forgive us, Lord. The only thing good that we have in our hearts and our lives tonight is because of your grace. So we have nothing really in ourselves to be proud of. We can't boast or brag or anything about us. If we have gifts, you gave them to us. Lord, these brothers that have been successful, many of them, Lord, they testify it's your grace and your goodness to them. May they always be that way. But they never begin to think in their mind, well, I've done this and I've done that. God, keep us from such stuff. Ministers that are here, Lord, and the ministry around the world to the bride, we see it over and over again when preachers go to getting lifted up and thinking there's something and thinking their gift is so elite and those so super spiritual and they're so far above everybody else. Lord, help us to realize we're on our way out when we go to thinking of such. Help us, Lord Jesus, to realize the only way we can still be used consistently is when we're being used more and more is that we must maintain that littleness in our own sight. It's not left up to other people to think little of us. It must be self-generated. And it can only come divinely when the birth of the Lamb in our soul and that Lamb goes to living out the merged nature of the lamb and the dove merges in us by the miraculous new birth. Praise God. Praise God. Then that nature helps us, Lord. And it's a battle every day that we live, Father, one way or another. But we so thank you for your overcoming power in our lives. I pray for each man, woman, boy, and girl. Lord, we know the way Satan has got this civilization set up. It ain't enough anymore to have a college education. It ain't enough, Lord, to have just a high school diploma. But you've got to have this degree and that degree and that degree and that degree. We know where all that's coming from. And Lord, we're not saying so much that it's sin or wrong for people to do it. But I pray you'd help our young people, Lord, to realize the more educated they become, the more smart, and the more brilliant they become in their mind. Help them, Father, to realize that never replaces faith. Help them, Father, to always keep faith first. Even if their education says one thing and the Word says something else, they always stay with the Word. Because all it'll take is one little professor that goes to question this or that or the other, and then another, and then another, and then another. Then they got all kinds of questions in their mind, and their faith is being questioned by their intellect. 
But Lord, help us to believe if every college in the world says we're crazy. Every professor says we're out of our mind. What difference does that make? We're not following professors. We're following the Lord Jesus. We love you, Lord. Search our hearts tonight, would you, Jesus? See if there's any pride, any arrogance. Lord, left it. Begin with me tonight, Lord, would you? Begin with me, Father God. Search me. I lay my life, Lord, as it would be upon a table. Whenever a person going for a PET scan or an MRI or a CT or whatever more, and they follow the directions and they climb upon the table and do what they're told to do, and then they let the machine do the rest of it. And then the results are displayed and someone is to read it. Oh, Holy Spirit of God, read the results of my scan tonight, Father. Lord, I, I, don't, I don't want the people's opinion. I don't want the deacon's opinion, the trustee's opinion. I want your opinion. I want you to scan me tonight as it were, Lord, and read it to me. Tell me the truth you always do. If there's anything in me, Lord God, that's contrary to your will, contrary to your nature, show it to me, Lord. Anybody else feel that same way tonight? Are you willing to get up on God's table as it were and let God scan over your life just to see if there's anything there? Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word tonight, Father. We rejoice in your presence, Lord. Help us, I pray, God. Help us, Lord Jesus. We worship you, Father, with all of our hearts. Amen. Sing something for us. Hey, let's sing just a little bit before we go, can we? Don't you appreciate the grace of the Lord Jesus? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's just worship him just a little bit before we go. Oh, my. Thank God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. To be like Jesus. Oh, we want to be like him laying hands on the sick. We want to be like him doing all those things. But do we want to be like him in humility? Amen. Submitting ourselves to the hand of God. I
Love you in the Lord. Let's pray together. We'll we'll let you be dismissed. I know everybody is aware of this coronavirus and all this stuff that's going around. We know the prophet tells us in the last days there's going to be diseases and things that's going to come up on the earth that'll make cancer look, you know, like a toothache, just so mild. Is this it? I don't have a clue. But I know that it's rampant. I know that the CDC and WHO and all those different folks are really worried about a pandemic level. But I believe our God is still in the business of protecting His people, don't you? So I want you to remember all that. We've got a lot of sickness. I know that you're aware of the different prayer requests and so many needs among the the saints. Brother Ron Spencer began his treatment yesterday, and they're doing what they call an immunotherapy, which means they take the T-cells out of his body and supercharge them somehow, put those his same T-cells back into his body, and then it attacks the cancer in his body. So... We want to just pray for our brother that God will just be with him and <clears throat> God will help him and help his body to be able to react to it. Because the cancer is in the fourth stage in both of his lungs and because it's in both lungs, they cannot, of course, operate, be able to take the lungs out and replace them. But our God specializes in things that seem like super, just totally impossible. One of the doctors told Brother Ron, he said, there's one thing about it. This miracle will be truly authenticated. Because we've got test after test after test and proof after proof. So I like it when you've got doctors that are testifying that God's able to move. Amen. God bless you. Heard you had some good services and Brother Homer was here. Amen. So appreciate our brother coming up and, and being with us. God bless you. Let's pray together as we go. Heavenly Father, as we come to the close of this and of the service, Lord, and I realize myself and every person here will have to stand and answer at that day for this very service. I will have to answer for what I spoke, the attitude I spoke it in. The Lord, they will have to answer for their response. They'll have to answer for what they do with it. 
So we know that with the word comes great responsibility. So it's not that we're just sitting around and being fed all the time and pampered, but it comes with an awesome position for us. But we believe you empower us, Lord, to help us fulfill that responsibility. So as we depart from this place tonight, Lord, we're so grateful that we don't have to leave your presence, but you'll go with us. Lord, we're just thinking of all the sickness and all the disease. Lord, we, we look at our nation, the, the shape that it's in. Lord, many of us would have never, ever believed that a socialist running for president would ever get off the ground in our nation. But we see it, Lord, how frightening that it is if we look at it humanly. Lord, to see the government and politics and where they are, it's so scary looking at it in the natural sense. But we're so glad our faith is not in politics. Lord Jesus, I pray you would keep us, Lord, in this hour of darkness. Keep us, Lord Jesus, safe in the protection of your word, not only in the physical part, but keep our souls, Lord God. Folks are going astray. Folks think it ain't worth living no more. But Lord Jesus, we want to be in love with you more than ever before. Hallelujah. Because falling in love with Jesus was the best thing we ever done. We was trapped in that other marriage and we didn't have no choice. But once, once we started hearing your words and feeling your sweet arms around us, it was the best thing we ever done in our lives. Go with us now, Lord. Keep your people. Lord, so much sickness abound. But, Father, we still profess and believe and claim that you are our healer. Go with us now, Lord. Bring us back this weekend with an expectant heart. In the name of the Lord Jesus. And the saints said? Amen. God bless you, saints. Looking forward to being together again this weekend. Let's come back expecting the Lord to speak to us again. God bless you. If you feel... You'd like to shake hands. You can. If you don't, you can bump or you can air shake, whatever your, whatever your germ control level is there. You know. God bless you. I love you in the Lord. Oh, I, I want to be ready. Oh, I, I want to be ready to go. Come